Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Today we are going to be in 2 Peter. Uh, we're going to take a break. Um, we've been praying for 2020 to be a year of growth. Um, and as Christians, often that road of faith can seem difficult to see. And we sometimes uh, find obstacles and it's hard to see what God wants us to do. Um, so how do we grow? Um, I got led to 2 Peter after a lot of praying, uh, and it is an absolutely brilliant guide for uh, how to keep walking with the Lord and, and to grow our faith. Um, so I thought it would be a good place to spend the week uh, taking a break from Exodus, so we will leave Pastor Chris and Moses up on Mount Sinai, finishing the tabernacle, and we will uh, stay down on the ground So for a little while. Um, I do want to add a quick disclaimer to uh, today. I had some points of self-reflection that kind of came on me as I was writing this, uh, that God put it on my heart to share. Um, when I ask the questions, they are there for you to reflect on. Uh, some of them might be a little tricky to confront. As I prayed on them, uh, a couple of them, I admittedly got some pretty sharp replies for myself. Um, we're all on the road of faith together. Uh, these are not aimed at any one person, so if you feel guilt or feeling judged, uh, lay it at the Lord's feet. He's, he's talking to you for a reason, but it's, we're, I'm not taking shots at some people. So um, We'll just start out by reading what we'll cover, and then we'll go back and break it down. So we'll start uh, 2 Peter, verse 1, chapter 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained light, precious faith, faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to glory, to life, and godliness, through the knowledge of him who, who called us by glory and virtue by which you have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For, the, for if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, I know Paul usually gets the reputation for run-on sentences and not using semicolons, but I think Peter gave him a run for his money in part of this intro, so it's definitely worth breaking it down, because one has to. Um, so we'll start back at the beginning. 
Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Just as a quick reminder, what is the definition of a bondservant? Group participation. Sip coffee. No? Okay. Uh, a bondservant is somebody who has worked for somebody for a time and decided that it's a good thing to stay with them and they are willingly uh, giving the rest of their life to devoting service to them. It is a willing slave, essentially. Um, I think it's worth noting that Peter refers to himself first as a slave and then as an apostle who actually sat at Jesus' feet and had his feet washed by Christ and, you know, firsthand. He is basically testifying to the experience that the experience of Christ led him to choose to surrender himself to the Lord's work for the rest of his life. Humility is key if you're going to walk with the Lord. We have to acknowledge we are less than God. We're flawed and we're incomplete in and of ourselves. We can only ever see this tiny little slice of the world around us. And that limitation means that we are, in truth, incompatible to be in the presence of a perfect, self-complete God. And if we add that imperfection normally, the perfection's gone. If you add one drop of black to a can of white paint, it is no longer pure white. Gray has set in. Perfection is gone. And normally, that would mean we would remain apart from God forever. Except that God chose to demonstrate his love and to redeem us at the cross so that we could have fellowship with him. We did nothing to earn that fellowship. We also get the Holy Spirit to help guide us and to hopefully correct the mistakes of our past. But that too is a gift. We don't get that credit either. So, while we can hold our heads up high and say that we have fellowship with God, we have to keep our eyes humble. Peter then addresses the congregation. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, ESV and the NIV uh, phrase it a little bit more clearly. They phrase it as, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. How awesome is that? Like, we have a faith that even Peter and Paul consider as equal to their own. We get an equal share of glory as every hero mentioned in the Bible, New Testament, Old Testament, from Enoch all the way through the Apostle. And we get to be embraced by God just as fully. And Peter demonstrates his acceptance of that principle. Like most of the New Testament authors, if you go back and you look at all of their letters, they really only ever address themselves as first among equals. If you look at John, his gospel, he always talks about himself in the third person, and in his letters, he addresses himself as the elder. That's it. No fancy titles, nothing. Just first among the brethren. People who, are, who have been a long time saved are no better than people who have just gotten saved. And they're not better than those we are trying to reach out to so that they can know Christ. Put it another way, since we're all foodies and this is Calorie Chapel, um, we all get the same plate at the buffet line, but we didn't do the cooking. 
when we successfully bring somebody to Christ, we are handing them the same kind of plate that we got. We didn't become the master chefs, and we don't own the restaurant. You know, Sayinfo's motto is saved to serve. It's not saved to be put on a pedestal. It's to serve. I, the first, become the last. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's one of the coolest parts about the Christian life, is that the peace that we get that comes with it. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be times of strife. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be times of tears. It doesn't mean that the chaos in the world isn't going to buffet us and try and blow us around. But we can seek shelter in the Lord and know that He's going to sustain us. We can come through anything when we lean on Him. He is the strong tower, and He's the stronghold of Psalms. He's the God of all comforts of 2 Corinthians, and he's the comforter of sorrow in Jeremiah. And as we grow into a deeper understanding of him, and as we build our lives using his word as the foundation, the winds of this world affect us less and less, because we have an inner peace and an inner fortress that the outside world doesn't get to touch. Verse 3. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. In other words, Christ's power and the knowledge of him is all we need for salvation. There is no action that has to be completed on our part other than accepting it. And the knowledge of the scriptures is what we can build a godly life here on earth with, and we can be an example to others. When you take Christ into your life, you get the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. It is essentially an open hotline to God that's always available, always on. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. In John 10.10, Jesus said this was the reason that he came to earth. He came that we might have life and have it abundantly so that we could truly be alive to God and that he would be our passion and our joy. A full life is one that has the eternal and the infinite as its goals and as its focus. Not earthly things and not the finite aims of the world. He mentions lust here, so let's just take a second and refresh Pastor Chris's Devil's Playbook summary. I know you all know this, so I want to hear the answers. Uh, what is the Devil's Playbook? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, flesh and pride of life. Excellent. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. We could also say it as lust of the ego, if you want. So, as long as we're in the physical world, we're going to have temptations. And we might get up, caught short by our weaknesses from time to time, whatever they happen to be. The devil never stops trying to impede the work of the kingdom, and he's going to try and catch us off guard. We are all going to sin. And sin just means to miss the mark. Human tempers are going to flare. Our egos and our sense of self-importance will always be trying to make us make bad choices. It's part of life. The difference in a Christian life is that 
because we've taken the gift that Jesus made possible on the cross, we can claim the mercy of having that sin erased when we repent for it. Repent meaning to make the changes in our lives to show that we don't want to do that anymore. We get to constantly re-renew our fellowship with God. So how do we grow that relationship? How do we keep it healthy? And how do we keep from straying? Peter gives us this amazing blueprint here. Um, I chose stairs for this slide and for the one coming up uh, because I find that it's a great mental picture to keep in your head for this section. So uh, everybody can just kind of use your imagination. Um, why a staircase? Um, our journeys are about growth, and as you climb, your perspective is going to change, and your view is going to broaden. Uh, occasionally, we all get stuck on a landing at some point in our lives. And when you hit a landing, there are often paths off that lead you back into the world again. And sometimes, we are called to go down back into the world. But you have to ask yourself, are you going down the hallway to help bring somebody else to the steps? Or is there just something really shiny down the hallway that you wanted to take a look at that isn't really the main focus? And if we're being really honest, most of us would rather be able to just hit an elevator at the bottom and skip the stairs, but God wants active participation, so we have to get our climbing shoes up. Um, and also, like stairways, God gave us safeguards. When we talk about walking up these stairs and attaining the heights, um, you can think of the word as the spindles on the banister, and prayer is your handrail. They are your guide when it's too dark for you to see on the stairs, and you can lean on them when your human strength fails you. If we take that old adage about the two sets of footprints in the sand and God carrying you when you're too weak and there's only one set of footprints, I guess to put that in the stairs, he's like the acorn-powered chair lift that takes you up. Um, so see, the metaphor holds. It's great. Uh, what the inside looks like. It is like an inverted beehive uh, that it just gets bigger and wider as it goes up. Um, so it's a great, great metaphor. Uh, as we start about our base, you can think of that little circle right there, dead center at the bottom. So now we'll get into the playbook for growth. Peter starts out by saying, for this reason of give all diligence all diligence. You have to constantly keep your eyes on the prize and stay focused on the path that God has put out there for you. So here's your first self-check. What are you really on fire for in your life right now? Where's your energy going? With all the, the COVID restrictions lately, were you more upset that church could only meet online and that fellowship got harder? Or are you more upset that you couldn't get your nails balanced and that there wasn't going to be any college football this fall? He then says, add to your faith virtue. So faith is going to be our starting platform. Hebrews 11.6 says that 
Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Salvation isn't an accident. It isn't luck. It is a choice to seek out God and to choose redemption through Christ. If you never make that choice, you're not even looking to see if there are stairs to be climbed. So we have faith and belief as our base. So the first step is virtue. The modern translation is goodness. It can basically be summed up by ET. Be good. Um, before we actually go any further, the one reason I like this picture as well, though, is you'll notice that there's a whole bunch of staircases that lead off from the bottom. Your road on faith may not be everyone else's road of faith. Um, it doesn't mean that they're doing faith wrong. It just means that God has a different path. The world is complex. It doesn't, you know, not everybody's journey is going to be the same. The destination and the goal is the same, but the journey may not be. Um, so back to goodness. Even before somebody's ever saved, they know what the people in society around them judge as right from wrong. We all have been a kid on the playground seeing somebody else being bad, and it offends us on some instinctual level. Every kid knows when their parents say, be good, they know what their parents mean. It means following the rules that were laid out. Sharing and not tattling, not lying to your parents, all the classics from childhood. And as grown-ups, we get more. Obey traffic signals. Don't talk in the movies. No cutting in line at the grocery store. No talking in the men's room. I'm going to say that again. It's sacrosanct. You don't talk in a men's room. <laughs> Personal pet peeve. Uh, if we have started to walk in faith, we don't get to cut corners anymore just to make our lives a little easier. Virtue is deeper than just a one-time choice. It is your habit to choose a certain way to act. If you come home before a curfew most nights, but you sneak out once a week, that's not virtue, that's deception. If you call out other people for not being honest, but you lie when your neck is on the line and on the chopping block, that's not virtue. That's not standing up for the truth. That's hypocrisy. The occasional stumbling into error is human. We all do it. But repetition is habit, and you are what you repeatedly do. If you lie every time you get caught messing up, you're a liar. You have to work and make it a habit to tell the truth to then become known and change and grow back into an honest person. So here's a self-check. Are you really doing what's right all the time, or are you only doing it when it doesn't cost you anything? Is your virtue actually habit, or do you just have a mixed bag of choices in your life? To virtue, we want to add knowledge. Knowledge is defined really simply as the awareness of something. Uh, but more deeply, it's its inner qualities and its relationships. Proverbs uh, 9, chapter 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. 
Now, wisdom and knowledge a lot of times get used interchangeably, but they are different. Wisdom is actually using knowledge in a correct way. And it's, it's exercising judgment based on what you know. Knowledge here, um, especially in this one, knowledge of the Holy One, is meaning you come to know about the Holy Spirit. For Christians, that's what it's being talked about. It's our running conversation with God. And when we first start out on this climb, we have to deepen that knowledge of who God is in us by paying attention to it. By reading the Word, by digging deeper in prayer, and by taking time with other believers. Psalm 1 sums up kind of where we're at in this stage and where we're at on the stairs as, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the ways of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. In other words, he's being good, and he's studying the ways of the Lord. And Philippians uh, 4.8 gives us a little bit more detail of what we should be looking for. It says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, or if anything is worthy of praise, then dwell on these things. That's what we should be growing in knowledge of. Verse 6, he says, to knowledge, we're going to add self-control. Because now we have an actual knowledge base from God to go on. We now understand the expect some of the expectations about why some things are good and why some things are bad. Self-control is using wisdom, then, with the knowledge that we've gained. It's, ex it's exercising your faith actively. It's using God's ideas of right and wrong instead of your own personal choices of right and wrong. It is trying to choose to be right over being comfortable. If you know what God wants you to do, for example, help others, that may mean you might have to skip a dinner with friends or movies if you were just going to be out hanging out and socializing, if you know that somebody around you needs help. To self-control, we add perseverance. Perseverance is the persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. It's virtue squared, essentially. You know what is right. You have the ability to choose wisely. You can make the choice because you know it's the right one. And you're doing that more and more often. You're falling short. You're missing the mark. You're sinning less. It's growing from just a series of good choices into a real habit. Gradually, this process is where God can start to really refine us in our lives. This is where the waste metal comes away and you start to get that pure gold coming out of the furnace. It can often feel hard, it can be uncomfortable, and it can oftentimes feel like the results are taking forever. But very often, and you know, very often, it will feel like a less immediately pleasurable way is being taken. But we're starting to look past the fleeting worldly desires and looking at something bigger at the eternal. To perseverance, we gain godliness. Because we're gaining that 
viewpoint of the eternal, we get a deeper understanding of God and his role for us. And then we're not following earthly rules, just like our parents told us to, or because something is theoretically good for us. As we draw nearer to God and understand the opportunity that Christ gave us, we actually want to start to reshape our lives and our minds to doing things that God approves of because we can feel God growing in us. Uh, to quote uh, the philosopher Lao Tzu, he says, watch your actions because they become habit. Habits become character. Watch your character because that becomes your destiny. If we cultivate a Christian, godly character, an eternity with God is what awaits us. That is our goal as Christians, an eternity in God's presence. Verse 7. To godliness add brotherly kindness. So now we're going to turn the corner a little bit. The first five steps that we just climbed were all internal. Now with brotherly kindness, we start growing by reaching out to and reaching out with others. None of us are an island. We live in social groups. We rub up against other people all the time. Brotherly kindness at its most first glance is almost as easy to theoretically understand as goodness. We have a conception of it. Paul says in Colossians, put on them God, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, humility, meekness, and patience. So if we've decided to follow in God's ways and we've come this far, we've put our desires to the side. And if we can set our selves to the side, then we can help others out instead when they need it. It's us beginning to emulate God's sacrifice through Christ by us sacrificing ourselves for the betterment of other people. It's having understanding when they fail. It's making other people's hurt our hurt and making their pain our pain instead of judging them because they feel a certain way. It's allowing other people to shine even if we have to stand in the shadows. It's a chance for the Holy Spirit, instead of just working in us, to actually work through us and to work into the world. It allows us to encourage our fellow Christians in tough times and it allows us to show by action to non-Christians the power that God's grace can have in our lives and that is available to them. So often this world is so blustery and chaotic, words are just more wind. And in a tempest like the world we live in, even the right words can get blown away. But actions are solid and their effects are lasting. In the Old Testament, God explained to Abraham and Jacob his nature. But when he redeemed Israel from Egypt, they had knowledge. They had proof of what he meant. And with Christ, he showed the entire world how much he would sacrifice for us. And then finally, the last step, to brotherly kindness, add love. And that's the ultimate goal. Real, pure, deep, endless love. Why love? 
Because as John said in his gospel in chapter 4, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. God isn't loving. He is love. That's his essence. In Matthew 22, Jesus summed up all of the Old Testament laws saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So, on our staircase, first you grow some love between you and God, and then between you and others. Up the steps Peter's just laid out. That love should ultimately be selfless and self-sacrificing, like Christ's example. As we climb higher on our journey towards God, we become less, and God, love, becomes more important. And we should be putting that love out into the world. That is how we exercise our faith. And that's hard. Can you, here's your next self-check. Can you love somebody who has wronged you? Can you love people who hold a different belief than you? Can you love someone who has stolen from you? Can you love someone who has betrayed you? Can you love someone who has harmed your child? Can you love someone who has murdered? God can. God does. No matter the grossness of your offense, God is willing to forgive you once you recognize that need to be forgiven, take Christ into your heart, and you start to climb these steps. And that is what we are called to emulate and to try and aspire to as his followers. And success is summarized in the next verse. For these, if these things are yours and abound in you, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You will receive any rewards that he has for you if you make a sincere attempt and you start to grow in it. If you keep the faith, success is assured. We get cautioned, though, in verse 9. He who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Being short-sighted means essentially you can't see anything but what's right here in front of your face. You're blind to the bigger picture, and it's usually tunnel vision. You're only reacting to what is directly in front of you, with no thought for long-term effects, and more, even worse, no thought to the harm that it's going to cause to others. It is instinctual, animalistic reactions, and it's with no thought to the consequences. I'm going to put it out there today that this is what we should be calling the social media perspective. It's thinking and it's communicating in pithy, self-righteous memes where scoring a singer in the comments section is more important than truth or fact or concern for the effect that your words and actions are going to have on others. Where any shred of dissent causes a reaction in you that robs another person of their value and their worth and respect, and where the world can only be viewed as black and white.
it's either the staircase you're on or they're wrong. That is the pride of life, the lust of the ego, writ large in cyberspace. So here's a self-check for you. Is your social media pages reflecting the pages in Peter's playbook at growth? Or does it more look like a page straight out of the devil's own playbook that glorifies yourself and your worldview at all costs? Because we have to remember we were all unworthy before Christ washed us clean. You and I are better than no one else on earth. Jesus came to heal the sick. And we were all sick. If you forget that, you have no reason to follow the command to love. Your heart will start to harden. And then you forget why you should be loved. And then all you're left with is the contempt that this world has for God's love. For me, the worst accusation that could ever be leveled at a Christian is you're not acting in love, or that wasn't loving. That should cut us to the core deeper than any other accusation could. No love means no godliness, in spite of our knowledge. It means we stopped climbing, and we've lost our way as individuals, and collectively as a church as a whole. We can't bring light into the world if we are throwing out shadows. If we're not humble, we become self-righteous, and then the pride of life dictates our actions. And that means that fulfilling Christ's command to love others, half the sum total of his teaching just blew out of our grasp. That's why Peter exhorts us in verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. If you're not climbing, you're sinking. As Christians, we're like sharks. If they stop swimming, they die. If we aren't growing, we're withering. Sometimes it does feel like we are stuck on a landing, but pacing on a landing is still movement. And that's usually God's way of telling us it's time to focus and center and come back to Him. If you're stuck on a landing, you will find that next flight up as long as you're still looking when God decides you're ready. And Peter promises that in the last verse. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So just as a final thought, we know that God is all-knowing. We know that He is love. God is also omnipresent. He is everywhere, in everything. He is in the space between every physical thing. He can always meet you wherever you are. doesn't matter where on those stairs you are. You can't run from him any more than you can run from yourself. You might get distracted. You might try to willfully cover your eyes and ignore that presence. But he is there all the same. There is always love there for you, waiting to help you when you need it, needing to push you forward when you need it, not necessarily when you want it, but when you need it, 
and he is there to safeguard you if you get too close to the edge. And most importantly, he promises us that at the end, when we finish our climb, he's there with our eternal reward, which is love and grace with him everlasting. To anybody watching who hasn't taken that first step of faith, I invite you to take a moment and to start your climb with the Lord. We all need this kind of love and grace in our lives. And if you see the need for that in your life, ask Jesus to come and into your heart and to wash those sins away and to take the Holy Spirit on as your guide and as your compass as you move forward. He's everywhere. He's already waiting right next to you to come in. And I also invite everybody who feels like they have come to a landing on the stairway of their life to take a moment as we pray and close to ask God to renew them and to give them a new focus to start climbing again. Stand and close Lord, you are love. To be with you is to be with love. A boundless love, an endless love, one that is deeper than anything any human mind can conceive of. We ask that you keep us climbing. We ask that your word inspires us to keep making the path ahead one that's the path that you set out before us. One that is the will you would have us exercise for you. One that helps us grow closer to you, Lord. Because by growing closer to you, it will ultimately help us grow closer to everyone around us down here on earth. And this world needs more of your love in it, Lord. Just ask that we can be tools in your hands to guide us, to bring your light farther into the world that is so overwhelmed with shadows right now, Lord. May you give us the courage to keep climbing despite the heights. We know that you are our anchor against the winds. We just ask that you constantly help us to keep you as the focus of our lives as we move forward. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.